Open your Bible, please. It's always tough to make a transition from that. But we're going to. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. We're in the series now where we're taking a look at why we do the things that we do. It's always a very important question. I was reminded of a story of a family that was gathering for Christmas. And the daughter was really old enough to help her mom out in the kitchen without feeling like she was getting in her mother's way. The mother got the ham out and was getting ready to prepare it to go on the pan, to go in the oven. Her mother takes out this huge knife and cuts off both ends of the ham. The daughter was curious as to why. Mama, why are you cutting off both ends of the ham? There's plenty of room in the pan. Mom said, you know, it's a good question. That's just the way my mom to taught me how to do it. I tell you what, when my mom gets here, let's ask her. Her mom arrives. The daughter goes to her grandmother. Mama, why, why did you cut the ends off of the, hand, of the ham to go in the pan? There's plenty of room. And she said, you know, that's a good question. My mom is still living. And later today, we're going to the nursing home to visit her. Why don't we ask your great-grandmother why? They load up the afternoon after the meal. They go to see the great-grandmother. And the great-grandmother says, it's very simple. We cut the ends off the end of the ham because when I was a little girl... The pan was too small for the ham. So we had to cut off the ends for it to go in. Sometimes it's important to ask why you do the things you do. We've looked at why we gather corporately to worship. We've seen it's a, the Christian faith has always been a corporate faith. Last week we looked at it, why we preach. Why we devote the, primary, the largest portion of our time to preaching. Today we're going to look at why we pray publicly. There are at least three prayers in our service every week, at least three. And why we read the scripture, why we devote a special portion of our time together to the reading of the scripture. We're going to start at 1 Timothy 4.13 with a command that Paul gives to young Timothy. A command to this young preacher as to how he is to conduct his ministry in Ephesus. Verse 13, Paul writes these words, this command. He says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you, Father, not only for the grace and the mercy we see as your power is demonstrated in the lives of your children, but we thank you for the grace and mercy you have given us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the grace and the mercy you've given us in your word, that we can know you, Lord, that you, you speak to us. Your word is truth, and it will last into eternity, never fading away. We thank you, Father, for the privilege of praying that you hear us, and you invite us into your presence and your ear is never turned away from the voice of your children who cry out to you. Father, as you speak this morning, give us ears to hear. Speak to us, Lord, that we may be transformed by your power and that Jesus Christ, our risen, ascended, and exalted Savior, will be glorified it is in his name we pray and the church said amen three events I want to put before you three events that had a very similar common denominator the first event is something that happened in 1999 
NASA launched a probe going toward Mars. But as the probe got closer and closer to its designation, the engineers noticed that something horrible was happening. It was veering off course. And in fact, veered off course, it never made it to Mars. A satellite, a probe that cost $125 million is now, they believe, floating somewhere in the nether regions of space. The next event occurred in 1996 on October the 2nd when Air Peru Flight 603 began descending in altitude and tragically crashed into the ocean, killing all 70 passengers and crew. The third is a tragedy that many of us can remember. January of 1986, when the Space Shuttle Challenger lifted off the launching pad, and a few seconds into flight exploded. Each of those events have one common denominator. The cause of each of those tragedies was something very small that could have been prevented. It was later discovered the reason that the $125 million Mars probe began just just moving toward outer space was a simple lack of communication. You see, when NASA designed it and plugged in its computations, it used the English measuring system of yards, inches, and feet. But when the engineers at Lockheed did their design and plugged in their computations, they used the metric system. A, a government project. When they investigated the reason that air flight from Peru crashed, they discovered that a man doing maintenance on the hull of the plane had torn off a strip of duct tape to use, to use in a part, portion of the repair. He had placed a strip of duct tape and forgot to remove it. And the place that he placed it on the hull covered a sensor that measured wind speed and altitude. An inch strip of duct tape was the cause of the wreck. You may remember the reason for the tragic explosion of the shuttle, an O-ring, less than three inches in diameter, not tried for cold temperatures, broke. Tragedy caused because something considered very small was overlooked. Now, when we think of worship, there are things that usually come to mind quickly. Preaching, singing. But there are things that we often overlook that are just, just as important to our gathering to worship as preaching and singing. It is the prayers that we lift up to God. And it's the time we take to read the Scripture. Those are not small things because they are unimportant. To the contrary, those are things that have been a part of the people of God going back even into the Old Testament. When Moses descended from Mount Sinai, where it's recorded in Exodus 24, that the people gathered in front of him, and you know what he did? He read the commandments that God had given him. In Nehemiah chapter 8, the people had gathered in front of Nehemiah and Esther. And as they gathered together, they heard the scripture read 
and they prayed together. When the people of Israel were scattered because of the Babylonian army who came in and conquered Judah and took the majority of the population, scattering them over 800 miles across the Babylonian empire, the Jewish people maintained their identity by gathering together in what we call synagogues. And when they met in synagogue, the synagogue service would focus upon the public reading of the Torah and the prayers of God's people. Jesus said that his house was to be marked by prayer. In each of the Gospels, Jesus said, Did you not hear that my house was to be a house of prayer for the nations? People from all nations were to come and to be a part of prayer. The defining characteristic, he says, of his house is that his people would pray. Scripture reading and prayer are not things that are superfluous to our gathering to worship. They're to be part of the warp and the woof of who we are, a defining characteristics of the people of God that when we meet, the Scripture will be read and we will gather together in one mind and one heart and one accord to pray. Now some would answer by saying, well, the public of reading of Scripture is not essential to worship anymore. After all, they argue, wasn't Scripture read because the majority of people did not have their own copy of the Bible? So it had to be read for people to hear it. And there is an element of truth in this. Copies of the Scripture were not readily available, certainly not in the early church. And today, that has changed. According to LifeWay Research, the average American owns 3.6 copies of the Bible. Average American. Some obviously own more, some own none, but on average. So the question is, if we have each have multiple copies of the Scripture, is Scripture reading in church still important? I would answer yes. Part of the reason why is found in the fact, according to statistics, and we'll look at the next screen, even though we have copies of the Scripture, they're not necessarily used. I apologize if this is hard to see. Basically, this was a survey done by Lifeway asking the question, how often do you read the Bible? 19% said every day. So out of 2,930 people, 18, 19% said they read it every day. But what's shocking is this, 18% said they rarely or never read it. The vast majority say, I read it a few times a week, once a week, or at least once a month. But you have almost the same number that read it every day as never read it. Now what's interesting to me is when you look at the two other questions, for example, the Aryan Green says, I desire to please and honor Jesus in all that I do. That question was asked. 90% of the respondents said, yes, I want to please and honor Jesus in everything that I do. So can we please and honor Jesus if we don't read his word? The lower right side, the question or the phrase was made, throughout the day I find myself thinking about biblical truths. 59% agreed. Well, what biblical truths are we thinking on if we're not in the word? So I would say the public reading of scripture is still crucial because even though we all have Bibles if this is accurate, the only time people hear the Bible read is in worship services. What about prayer? Some argue 
taking a very pious approach by saying, well, we shouldn't pray in public because after all, didn't Jesus warn against doing acts of righteousness for people to be seen? And they quote the, the scripture that will be up on the screen next, Matthew 6, verses 5 and 6. Up on the screen you'll see it. Jesus said, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and to pray in the synagogue and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. So they argue, well Jesus banned all public prayer. He said, you don't want to be a hypocrite. You don't want to be like the Pharisee who's just praying to be heard so that people will applaud and say, "Woo, what a prayer. But if that's what Jesus is saying, if Jesus is saying to never pray in public, he didn't follow his own teaching very well. John chapter 11, Jesus has shown up at the graveside of Lazarus, his friend. People have gathered around because they're grieving and Jesus is given the very odd order to say, remove the stone. Now up on the screen you'll see what happens next. Or we'll read it together. John chapter 11. They took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Now, what is he doing in verse 41? Here's the clue. It starts with P and ends with G. He is praying. And he's praying aloud. He says, I thank you that you've heard me in verse 42. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. So he says, Father, not only am I praying, I'm praying in public aloud so they will hear and know you. If Jesus was saying it's wrong to pray in public, he didn't follow his own counsel. Neither did the early church. Do you realize that in the book of Acts, as, the, as Christianity is growing and the church is described, that more often than not, when the church meet, it is described as praying, beseeching God, crying out to God. And these were not just silent prayers, as if the person leading the worship service said, let us take a moment now and let us pray silently. No. There may have been times like that, but the majority of the time, the scripture describes the church as sounding like a birthing room where the mother is giving birth. That's how they were praying. Now, how many silent maternity wards have you ever heard? Brothers and sisters, that's crying out. The early church made the practice of praying together. We are told in Colossians 4 to pray we find this reading here to Timothy where he says, give extra attention, devote yourself to the public reading of the scriptures. Let's get to the wise. Why do we take time? Why do we say as a part of every service, Nathan will, will read the scripture and lead us in prayer. Why do we begin with prayer? Why is there a prayer before the offering? Well, one reason is this. When we gather together publicly, we want to make a declaration about who we are. And we make a declaration through our prayers and through our, our, our reading of the scripture, that we are totally dependent upon God. You may have never thought of it in terms like that, but when we read the scripture, what we are saying is, God, we need you to guide us. 
Our internal GPS that is to guide us in the way to live has been corrupted by a virus. And that virus is called sin. And God, because we don't know the way that we ought to go, we need you to speak to us, to lead us, to know you, and to show us how we are to live. That's what the scripture reading is about. We are confessing, God, we don't know what direction to go. We need you to speak to us clearly to show us the way to go. Prayer is an acknowledgement of that need. It's an acknowledgement that apart from God, we can do nothing. So when we gather to praise, we are gathering to praise Him and to publicly confess in agreement with that prayer that there is none like God that He alone is worthy to be praised. When we confess and we have prayers confessing our sin, we are acknowledging that we are sinful before God and we need His grace and mercy to be forgiven. When we thank God publicly, we are acknowledging that all we have is a gracious, good gift from God. So we thank Him publicly. When we ask of Him, we are doing so because we believe He is a great God, able to do all things. And so as a body gathered together, we confess God guide us, God give to us because we can do nothing absolutely nothing apart from you as Christians as Christians we are of all people recognize we are totally dependent upon God everything Paul asked in Corinthians one time what do you have that you were not given by the grace of God what you see prayer and scripture reading keep us focused on who we are it keeps us focused that God is the reason we exist because when we lose focus on what really matters then we truly become lost you see this played out when companies have forgotten why they exist the results have never been good for example Colgate known for its toothpaste makes toothpaste mouthwash great oral care Except in 1982, they decided to branch into the kitchen entree line and make homemade meals that could be microwavable. For some reason, people didn't want to buy food prepared by Colgate. Did you know Harley Davidson, I believe it was in the 80s, ventured into the cologne and aftershave market? Harley Davidson. It had a little bit of a tinge of motor oil, I understand. Clairol, makeup company, 1979. Came out with a new shampoo, branching into the shampoo area called a touch of yogurt. Maybe the problem was the name, but they had to discontinue it because there were complaints that people were eating the shampoo for breakfast. 2005, Frito-Lay decides to branch out of the potato chip industry and to move into lip balm. I don't know, I'm just reading what I found out. It didn't go very well according to Wall Street. It said, or according to the Wall Street Journal, while Cheetos has been a popular snack for 60 years, Cheetos flavored lip balm did not catch on with the consumer. When you lose focus on what you're about, it won't be long till you are about nothing. When we gather and we make prayer and scripture reading an in integral part of who we are, we are reminding ourselves why we exist. We exist for the glory of God and it saves us. It's, it's a safeguard that we don't fall into relying upon methods and programs to accomplish the work of the kingdom. 
Now, methods and programs are not bad in and of themselves. They're like forms that the power of God can work through. But the danger we have is that our pride kicks in and we think we can do the program apart from the power of God. We think as long as we do the ministry, everything is okay. And we forget that programs and ministries without prayer, without being bathed in Scripture, without seeking the power of God will accomplish nothing for eternity. Congregation, we need to be careful because we're in danger of that with upward basketball. For 16 years, we have operated a ministry not to teach basketball, but to teach the gospel. And for 16 years, God has blessed us in doing that. But we dare not think for one moment we can launch into a new season without beseeching God and saying, Lord, bring glory to your name. Bring in a harvest. Let us see kids saved. Let us see families reached. And to say, Lord, here I am. Use me. Otherwise, we fall into operating a recreational basketball league that can be found in Johnson City. We're not about that. We're about the gospel. And that's why we pray. Lord, fill that ministry with your spirit. Fill Sunday school with your ministry, with your spirit. I often think of the hymn, Brethren, we have met to worship, where it says, All is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down. Brethren, pray and holy manna will be showered all around. All is vain unless the spirit. Prayer and the reading of the scripture reminds us we are dependent upon God. The second thing it does is this. It's a public acknowledgement of the supreme value of knowing God. Notice that connected to this command to read the scripture in verse 13, he says, I want you to devote yourself to the reading, public reading of scripture, then to two other things, to exhortation and teaching. Exhortation is encouragement. It's believed that that was a, a synonym for preaching. Teaching is the idea of showing people how to apply the truth to their lives for change. So he says, you take the scripture, you use it to encourage people. It may be encouragement to repent. It may be encouragement to press on. It may be encouragement to obey. But where is it found? It is found in the Scripture. And then you teach. You teach knowing that the Scripture brings about change. You teach so that people will apply their lives to the Scripture, to following God. That's why the Scripture is there. It reveals who God is. And it instructs us. Up on the screen, you'll see Romans chapter 15, verse 4. The Apostle Paul wrote, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. The Old Testament is what's being referred to there. We recognize the New Testament falls under that category also, but it was written for our instruction. We need to know how to live. What's the purpose? That through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, you want to endure in the fight for the faith? It's through the Scripture. Seeking encouragement? Through the scripture, we might have hope. You can draw a direct line from the power of scripture to hope. So in these times where we, we become fearful because of what's happening in our nation, that's where we need to elevate the reading of the scripture even more publicly as well as privately. Because we know that it is God speaking to us. You see, Scripture tells us how we need to adjust. And prayer is seeking the power to adjust. It's like a sailboat. A rudder or the set of the sails will determine the direction it goes. But you need the wind to move it. The wind is the Holy Spirit that will move us. The rudder and the direction is the Scripture that moves us in the direction. So that Jesus Christ will be glorified. 
Now, the thing about the reading of the Scripture publicly as well as prayer being made publicly is that they are avenues by which we come to know God. And we elevate them as a model of how to do them. It is never about look at me. Never. Whoever's praying, whoever's reading the Scripture. But what they do is to serve as a model for how it is to be done. So reading the Scripture. Scripture, the Bible, was written to be read aloud. And there is something unique about reading the Scripture aloud. I would challenge you in times where you're doing your private devotion and you're by yourself, read the passage aloud. Think about the pauses. Think about the inflection. Because when it's read aloud, sometimes you get a better feeling for what is going on. It, it uses a sanctified imagination to hear the voice of God, maybe in a way that we haven't heard it before. Because the truth is, we can all fall into the humdrum monologue. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Condemn the world. but through the world. No, but when you start to read it aloud and think about what it's saying, that voice being heard audibly, prayer does the same thing. People who pray serve as a model for how to pray. And what you will find is that after a while, you'll begin praying like those whom you have heard pray. Isn't that what the disciples did with Jesus? Teach us how to pray. And what you will find in the portion of the service we call the pastoral prayer is that the prayer will be connected to the Scripture. So if you will listen to that, you will hear that the prayer comes out of the Word of God because we know when we pray the Scripture, we're praying God's will. So we read the Bible as a confession of dependency. We read and we pray aloud as a way of confessing, confessing the high value of knowing God. And we do it to strengthen our community. You cannot remove the individual from community, nor community from the individual. We are united. And common public prayer and the reading of Scripture helps to solidify our unity. Think of Scripture like coming to the same table. We come together. We all come to the same table to eat. It's one of the many memories of growing up. I knew I had reached a certain status in life where I no longer had to eat Thanksgiving dinner at the kids' table. Moving on up, to quote George Jefferson. We go to places and there's a table here for the children and a table here for the adults. Here we all come to the common table for God's Word. To partake of it. In prayer, we come to the same place of our neediness before God and we learn to really bear one another's burdens. We learn to laugh together, to pray together, to praise together so that the body of Christ is strengthened in that. So how do we get the most out of the public reading of Scripture and our public prayers? I draw your attention to the key word in verse 13, devote yourself. That word devote carries with it the focus of mind working see I'm firmly convinced that a lot of spiritual warfare deals with where your mind wanders to when it comes to the reading of scripture at times even in a public place or even prayer we have to work to stay engaged now like all of you all there are times in prayers I've nodded off I've even nodded off when I've been the one praying there are times the kids have laughed at me because we would gather at the bed, you know, before we, we all laid down to sleep and, you know, everybody going to their own rooms and I would start praying, Lord, I pray that you'll be with us tomorrow, help us to rest well tonight and bless this food, we receive it, the nourishment of our... And 
Emma and Sam and Ellen are going, Dad, wake up! You know, you have to engage. It's work. He says, employ your mind in these things. So this is what it looks like. Today, Nathan read from John 14. It means you engage in listening to what's being said. And maybe even what I try to do is, as, as I'm looking at it and as I hear his voice reading it, I'm trying to repeat it in my mind. And I may not remember the whole text, but I can take away that one thing. Jesus said, I'm going away and I'm giving you the comforter. With praying, it's the same thing. It's listening to what is being said. Praying in agreement. That's where it's okay at times when somebody's praying to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, let it be. To enter into agreement with what is being prayed. To listen to the prayer. And for those that lead prayer, whether it be one of the staff members or the deacons or Nathan or myself or any one of you, there is nothing wrong with thinking through what to say when you pray. Nothing wrong at all. Some people say, well, I'm not talking to them, I'm talking to God. Yes, but they're listening. And people that pray publicly have a responsibility to think through, how is this instructing a person to pray? So you think through it doesn't mean you can deviate off of script if the Lord moves on your heart. If you've written down, I'm going to pray for the nations, but then your heart is moved to pray for Ecuador, pray for Ecuador. But it serves as a model. So it's, called for that, it's a call for that engagement of mind when the scripture is read and when the prayers are lifted up that we are one seeking life together. Seeking life. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me right now.